thought, according to the book of Isaiah, were six reasons that God's people lost out with him in, 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 in the time of being dispersed and living in bondage. But in spite of their weakness, their lack of passion as they went through the motions and worship, as their self-confidence, their pride, and even their confusion and direct disobedience to God, we talked about how God just kept reaching to them. And so uh, this evening, we're going to wrap up this short two-week series with this week two of this, His hand is still stretched out. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, God, we love you, and we are so thankful for you, Lord. We just ask that your word would accomplish that which you desire for it to accomplish on this Wednesday night. Lord Jesus, I believe that you want to, you want to share some things with our heart and our mind tonight from your word that really are powerful truths and principles that I am so grateful for. So let, let our hearts and minds be receptive Lord, in spite of all the fatigue or all the distraction, help us to zero in on your word here these next few moments as we look at this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We read this last week toward the end of the message, and Isaiah 29, and just reference it again, verse 13 and 14, it says, Wherefore, the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, so saying one thing, but the heart isn't there. Their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. doesn't really sound like they were qualified for that work, based on what we read. But his grace, his hand is still reached out. His hand is still reaching out. And so around this same time frame, the prophet Micah writes about the remnant of God's people. Micah 7, 18 and 19 says, where is another God like you? who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people. You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. What a powerful passage of Scripture. Just reread that and think about how that personally applies to you. You're not going to stay angry with us forever. You delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, verse 19, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. I am, I'm so thankful for that truth in God's word. And so we ended last week talking about an upcoming marvelous work, one where Isaiah prophesies God is going to trample our sins. Micah says, get rid of them in the depths of the ocean. But how is that possible? The time period in which these men are writing is a time period of law, animal sacrifice. They didn't, sin was not taken care of. It was just pushed back another year. And so here these prophets are writing something that is prophetic. It is not today. Today's not that day. But there's a time coming where you're just going to trample our sins. They're going to be to the depths of the ocean. They're going to be totally destroyed. It appears in these cases, from what I can see, these Old Testament prophets saw something on the horizon that was far greater than anything they had experienced up to that point. They saw sin getting trampled, destroyed, removed, gone forever. Isaiah writes to a sinful and disobedient people at the beginning of this book in 1, 18 through 20. He says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 
If you be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Isaiah foresaw a time when God's grace would be offered to humanity, thus giving us a chance to respond in faith and act in obedience. And in doing so, we would be made completely clean. And I'm thankful for that. Otherwise, we wouldn't even have the last three weekends. Why would you put anybody in water if God didn't make it possible for sins to be washed away? But because he did, we can open up these doors and warm up water and throw some chlorine in and keep it clean and have someone put on a baptismal gown and say, hey, in the name of Jesus, I baptize you for the remission of your sins. I was so pumped to have three straight weekends of people getting baptized. It's going to be a fourth this weekend in Jesus' name. I'm preaching. I'm speaking in faith. I don't even know, but I'm I'm speaking in faith. And I was also pumped that it was the very first time that we have saw someone get the Holy Ghost in this, that I can remember, if, if there's somebody, forgive me if I'm forgetting, but someone that got the Holy Ghost in this sanctuary, begin to make a disciple, and they now baptized someone when Rachel did that for Meg. Rachel got the Holy Ghost right here, and now she's teaching Bible studies, and she's baptizing people. Amen? I love that. To that audience, they probably didn't realize the full extent of what Isaiah just said right there. King Ahaz, king of Judah, the southern kingdom, he didn't fully understand either. When God was trying to get Ahaz's attention, he sends Isaiah to Ahaz and says, Hey, ask a sign, any sign you want. God's with you. God's trying to prove like, hey, I'm with you. You don't need to look anywhere else. And God says, ask anything. Well, Ahaz, he had already made up his mind. Isn't that interesting sometimes when we look for counsel or we come to God in prayer? We already made up our mind. Hey, can I come counsel with you? I, I, I want to see if you will just put your stamp of approval on what I already decided. My kids sometimes, Titus especially, he'll do this. Titus, you need to try that. I don't like it. I make him try the food on the table. But I know he's not going to like because he already decided that he didn't like the food before he even put the food in his mouth. And so, but we make him try it. And we say, Titus, that's foolish. We try to teach and to train. So if you are the expert parent that knows all things, come see me and give me some ideas. But God says, ask anything. And so he tries to look at some, like some super spiritual God. Isaiah, I will not, I will not. Tempt the Lord my God. But God said to ask anything. That liar was only doing that because he had already disobeyed God and put his trust in the things of this world. And so he disobeys God again by refusing to ask a sign. And so God says, I'm going to give you, not just you Ahaz, but you people of Judah, a sign. And so Ahaz won't do it. The people of Judah are sitting in on this, and God says, all right, fine. Here's what I'm going to give you a sign whether you like it or not. 
And the Lord speaks to Ahaz and says, ask the assigned of the Lord, ask it either in depth or in the height above. But Ahaz says, I will not tempt the Lord my God. And he said, hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but you will weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So he's just, he's just like, yeah, you're making God weary. You make men weary. You make me weary as a prophet. Now you're going to make God weary. This is insanity. You all are crazy. Let me just tell you, God's giving you a son whether you like it or not. A virgin's going to conceive. You're gonna bear, she's going to bear a son, and his name's going to be Emmanuel. And that's it. And just, that, just okay. A prophetic word just goes forth, and he just moves on. Isaiah, the prophet, was absolutely writing about the situations taking place in that day. But being the omnipotent and awesome creator that God is, he was dealing with situations of that day while also giving a prophetic word about future generations. And Isaiah talks about a virgin conceiving, having a son named Emmanuel, and guess what happens? Matthew 1, 23, behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus was not a demigod, a triune God, a co-equal God. Jesus was God manifest in flesh. It's what scripture says. And Isaiah prophesied in chapter 1 about God doing a marvelous work. I'm pretty sure this classifies God's going to do a marvelous work. How about a virgin conceiving God manifest in flesh? That's pretty marvelous. But the people still didn't seem to get it. Remember, as I said last week, they lost their fight, probably didn't have much hope. They're living in exile. They got themselves there. Well, Isaiah 8, 21 says, they will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they're hungry, they will rage and curse against their king and their God. Why? Because when things don't go our way, even when we ourselves got ourselves in that situation, we will go, God, why are you letting this happen? God's like, well, I told you to go left, you went right, and now you're mad at me. And it happens all the time. And he says, they will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. No matter how great you think your life is, how untouchable you are, if you do not follow the principles of God and his word, you will only flourish for some time. Israel thought they were untouchable. They were not. It took some time. But if we disregard, disobey, disregard, disobey, disregard, disobey, there comes a time where God's hand of blessing is removed from our life. Sounds like a dark hour for them. But wait, look at the very next verse, though. God in his mercy. The next chapter. Remember, there were no chapters until the transmission translation process. So the very next word after this is nevertheless. Thank God for his grace. There's still, there's still things we're going to go through. There's still things that God will allow us to taste But in spite of that, the next word is nevertheless. 
I should preach a message. Thank God for nevertheless. The time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, Galilee will be filled with glory. Imagine if you're just sitting there like, Galilee, that's a, a seaport town. There's nothing special in Galilee. But Isaiah prophesies, oh, I'm telling you, the darkness ain't going to stay forever. There's a day coming that Galilee is going to be filled with glory. And the fact that he says, Galilee of Gentiles, which lies along the road of the, tells me it probably was not a famous place. It was not like, yeah, and he's coming to New York City in the lights, yeah. San Diego, it's beautiful, palm trees everywhere. He's like, no, Galilee, it's that place along the seacoast. He has to like start describing it. That, to me, says a lot of people that were listening in probably were not even certain where this place was. He says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Huh, what could he, what could he be talking about? Flip to the New Testament. It's so incredible. Don't ever just say, I have people say, oh, I like when people preach from the New Testament more than the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. You, you, to have a, a deep understanding of the word, you understand both of them. And when you do things like this, watch this. It's incredible. So he says, Galilee's going to have, there's going to be a great light. People who walk in darkness are going to see a great light. Matthew 4.12, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, we're in the New Testament now, he left Judea, returned to, to Galilee. Well, this is, there's that place. He went first to Nazareth and then left and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, which go back to Isaiah 9.1. Isaiah, wow, Isaiah, Isaiah's a, a good guesser. He said Zebulun, Naphtali, he describes Galilee. Like, this is pretty incredible. These are ways, too, that when people want to argue with you about inspired, how do you believe that Bible? It's not just faith. These are inspired texts that have internal points that go directly correlate with one another based on what was written thousands of years earlier. Okay? And so go back to Matthew 4.12, so, er, 4.13. So he says, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Verse 14, this fulfilled, just in case anyone misses it, Matthew spells it out very clearly instead of, in case people were just like listening in. He's like, just so you know, this fulfilled what was prophesied in case you missed that direct correlation. And then he says, and he quotes it, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, where the Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen, not will see, have seen a great light. And those who live in the land 
where death, death casts its shadow, a light shined. What is he talking about? In the midst of hopelessness, you don't have to be hopeless forever because God's not going to stay angry forever. There's coming a time grace is going to be there. He's going to cast your sins into the sea. He's going to wash them away. He's going to forgive us. How is he going to do that? We're walking in darkness. I don't even know my way. Just sit tight. A great light is coming. It's going to come to Galilee. You don't even know where that place is. But God, there's things in your life you don't even know where they're at. You don't know where they're at yet. You don't know what the future holds. But God's already there. A light is already going to light the way. When Paul was called, the Bible says what? A great light shined from heaven. When Jesus was born, the shepherds abiding in the, the field, they saw a great light shining about him. The Bible says the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Listen, if we want to stay in the light, walk in the light, we got to stay in the word. Got to stay in the word. But everything that is going to light up the situation, light the path, it all, it all revolves around Jesus Christ. And so these people knew that they were looking for what they were looking for because Isaiah prophesied about it. This may be how Paul instantly looked up and knew God, Jesus, I'm talking to you. Even before he identifies himself, Paul instantly knows, I'm speaking to deity. How did he know that? He was trained in scriptures. So maybe instantly he knew the light. Light is associated with, with, with my Savior, my Messiah. Go back to our passage in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, 3, you will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. If you're living in exile and slavery, this is a word that you really, really say, that's a good word. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms, bloodstained by war, will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. We're not going to need the uh, we're not going to need the bloodstained uniforms anymore. They're going to be used as fuel for the fire. Why? See, we just pull little passages, but why? For a child is born to, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The pr- but, oh, don't, don't forget that baby is the Everlasting Father. It's not a co-equal, co-eternal triune God. Scripture says that baby is the everlasting father, the prince of peace. His government and its peace, well, we're living under this exile. This government is not even. No, no, you're going to live under his government. What's coming, you haven't experienced yet, but what's coming is, remember I referenced a a child being born to a virgin? Well, the government's going to be on his shoulders, and, and this baby's going to be the everlasting father, and he will rule in fairness and justice the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord's heaven's armies will make this happen. The eighth chapter of Isaiah ends with hopelessness, darkness, anguish, and despair. The next word up is nevertheless. 
So you might be here watching online and here in person going, yeah, but this is what happened. Here's where I'm at. Here's where I got myself. This is what the situation looks like. All I have to say is, nevertheless, nevertheless, I'm not saying your situation is difficult. It's not difficult. I'm not saying it's not challenging. I'm not saying that it's not discouraging at times. All I can say is, nevertheless, we have a God who can step into any situation. And so when you're in a hopeless and dark situation, when Jesus steps in, light appears. When Jesus steps in, the darkness flees because light overtakes darkness. That's why Isaiah also writes Isaiah 12, 1 and 2. He says, and in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Thou wast angry with me. Thine anger is turned away and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He's also, though, he's my strength and my song, but he's also Jehovah, the Old Testament God. He's my strength and salvation, but I'm prophesying right now. He says, he's also going to be my salvation. Now, Jehovah, Jireh, Nisi, Rapha, Shalom, he's my peace, he's my strength, he's my banner, he's my victory. But Jehovah's going to be my salvation. And so this baby is born, and they say specifically, you're going to call his name Jesus, which means what? Jehovah is or has become our salvation, my salvation. And so Isaiah's prophesying, there's going to be a virgin that's going to conceive. You're going to have Emmanuel. He's going to be the prince of peace. The government's going to be on his shoulder. And in, in Jehovah, the Old Testament, he's not just going to be a provider. He's not just going to be victory. He's not just going to be peace. But he, there's come a time Jehovah is actually going to be your salvation. Oh, what a coincidence. Baby, your name is Jesus. Jehovah now is our salvation. Thank you, Lord. And again, Jehovah God of the Old Testament. Jesus is the Jehovah God of the Old Testament. Isaiah saw something. He saw hope in the middle of hopelessness, light in the middle of darkness, salvation in the middle of sin. And that's why he could prophetically speak about repentance, water baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Isaiah 127, he says, Zion will be restored by justice. Not today, they're in exile. He's talking, he's not, this is not today. He said, but they're going to be restored by justice. Those who repent will be revived by righteousness. Another good message title, Revived by Righteousness. I'm going to need you to take notes while I'm preaching so I can revisit these things later. No, Revived by Righteousness. And so what, what's, what's he saying? They say, eh, in, the, in, the, in the time of the law, you know, you kill an animal, high priest goes in once a year, not without blood, pours blood on the mercy seat, and he's going, ah, there's a day coming. When Zion, you're next on that, but you're going to be restored, and people are actually going to be repenting and being able to be revived, meaning what was once dead can come back to life. Repentance does just that. I can be walking in sin, walking in the flesh, and the Bible says in the New Testament, when I walk in the flesh, the wages of sin 
our death. And so I'm walking toward death. But what, because of what Christ did on Calvary, the blood that was shed, I was living a life that was dead to sin, and now I can be alive to him. That's why it says when we're buried with him, we're buried with him in baptism, but then we're raised to new life. We are born again. We are revived. We have another, another shot, another chance at this. And so... That's why he says in verse 16, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil things you do before my eyes, cease to do evil. That's what repentance is. Hey, I'm turning about, I'm walking away, I'm stopping sin, I'm, I'm, I'm walking away from that, but it doesn't just stop or end there. He says, wash yourself. Yeah, in the Old Testament, that was a brazen laver. But he's prophesying not about, he's not talking about a brazen laver here. He's talking about a prophetic time where a virgin's going to conceive and, and a government's going to be on his shoulders and Jehovah's going to become salvation. And we're going to be able to repent of our sins and we're going to be able to have those sins washed away in the waters of baptism. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red crimson, they shall be as wool. And because of this, God's people have hope for a future. Isaiah 10, 21, in that day, the remnant left in Israel, the survivors in the house of Jacob, will no longer in that day. It's not today. It's not now. He's talking about a prophetic time. He says they're no longer going to depend on allies who seek to destroy them. Ooh, that was a little bit of a dig at King Ahaz. They ain't going to do that. That's foolish. You're turning to people and calling on your enemies to help you fight other enemies, and it's going to get you through one battle, but eventually you're going to die. He says, but they will faithfully trust the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return. Yes, the remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Verse 12 of chapter 11. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel. And he will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. That's why in the 1800s, 1700s, 1600s, 1500s, 1400s, people would question, oh, the word, the Bible's not true. It's talked about this nation of Israel. There's all these prophecies for Israel, and Israel's not even a nation. They've been dispersed. They've been destroyed. And, and so the Bible just can't be true. Why? Well, because you look, how many Philistines and Amalekites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites do you know? Nobody says that. Nobody says, yeah, I'm German, French, German, French, Swedish, Jebusite, Perizzite, and Amalekite. Like, nobody says that because when a nation's destroyed, they're destroyed. It's done. They cease to be a nation. They've, they've been obliterated, destroyed. That was Israel. They're exiled. Part of the reason why. They were able to become the only nation in history that was born again. There's no other nation that has ever been dispersed and born again. May 15th, 1948, Israel once again becomes a nation. They're born again. How could a nation that was dispersed to the four corners of the earth still hold on to a cultural identity to still remain a nation when they come together again? Well, that's interesting because God talked to them about the way they dress. God talked about the way they worship. 
God talked about the way they talked. God talked about the way that they, they prayed. God, God lined out all these things so that even in a land of exile, they still had an identity. Even though we walk through this earth that is not our home, we still have an identity in Jesus Christ because of what he's called us, the way he's called us to live. And so he says, yeah, they're going to, they're going, they're going to be dispersed, but they're coming back as a nation. No, they're not. It's been thousands of years. It ain't happening. May 15, 1948, only nation in history to be born again. And Scripture prophesies that they will never again be destroyed or dispersed to the four corners of the earth, which is pretty incredible. Because you look at this blip on the map, and everyone surrounding them would love to destroy them. But yet... There will be a time in Revelation where the nations of the earth gather to do battle against the nation of Israel. All nations of the earth will gather, which means the United States has either ceased to be a nation or we've changed our foreign policy. My prayer is when that happens, we're already gone. The second coming of Christ is already taking place, but all nations will gather to do battle. And Scripture tells us exactly what happens. God, his angels step in. Why? Because God spoke a word. And when he said they will never again be taken out of their land, they will never again be taken out of their land. And so, he says, when Isaiah, Isaiah 26, 19, but for those who die in the Lord will live because our hope is not just for this present life. It's for the next life. Their bodies will rise again. Wow, Isaiah, he's just knocking this out of the park. He says, those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy. For your life-giving light will fall like dew on your people in the place of the dead. When we cease to breathe and the heart stops beating, that's the end of planet Earth's story, but that's not the end of our story. Isaiah prophesied this to a group of people who were weary and going through the motions, and no doubt some of them would die in exile before this day could come. But Isaiah gives hope. Hey, and for those of you that aren't going to see this day, this is not the end. Because... Those who die in the Lord, their bodies will rise again. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, where do you think he gets this information? And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord by the Spirit of God. Because, hey, when we are obedient to Christ, we can follow his plan for our life. And then Paul goes on to say, and let me tell you about a mystery. Those who sleep, those who've gone on, those who've died, we're not, we're, we don't, we're not, we don't, we're not like those without hope. But the trumpet's going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise. And they're going to be caught up in the clouds, and so shall they ever be with the Lord. Beautiful symmetry in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so I don't, as I close tonight, I don't live in anxiety and despair. Because, why? Because all of my hope 
That song, all my hope is in Jesus. Thank God my yesterday's gone. All my sins are forgiven. I've been washed in the blood. So it doesn't matter what the current situation is. I know if I follow in obedience. And I know if I stay close to Jesus. That even in dark times, I got a lamp. A lamp that'll light my way. It'll light my path. I know that I can follow the word. I can follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I know that his grace is bigger than my situation. It's bigger than my faults. It's bigger than my failures. It's bigger than my mistakes. I know that God's grace says, you know what? If you stick with me, I'm going to cast those, those mistakes, those sins. I'm going to cast them to the bottom of the ocean. As far as the east is from the west, he didn't choose north and south because there's a starting and ending point. East and west, there is none. There's no starting and ending point. He, he purposely chose that. As far as the east is from the west, I can, be, I can be washed. If you're here, if you're watching online, and you've never repented of your sins, never been baptized in the name of Jesus, never been filled with his spirit, that's his, that's his plan. It's always been his plan. Even in the Old Testament, Moses stands up, and they're like, Moses, hey, these guys are prophesying. And Moses, in his prophetic spirit, stands up and says, I wish that everybody would prophesy. Well, that seemed a little weird in the Old Testament. But people who walked in the Old Testament with God, it's like they knew. that Maybe they didn't know the whole story, but they knew this is not the full plan that God has for his people. They knew there's coming a day when he's going to be a lot more engaged with us. And so Isaiah, more messianic prophecies, more prophecies about Christ than any other book in the Bible. And he's just constantly talking. There's coming a day. The light is coming. Hope's on the way. Galilee's going to see it. You're going to experience. You're going to be able to repent. Your sins are going to be washed away. He's going to, though they be as scarlet. All these things. And here we are as beneficiaries in 2022 of everything that he told them about. Hey, one day I, you're going to see incredible things. And here we are living in the middle of these incredible things. Stand to your feet tonight. I think that we have something to find an altar about tonight. I think that we have a lot of things that we can come to an altar tonight and say, God, thank you. Thank you for this revelation. Thank you for showing it to me. Thank you for showing it to Isaiah. This is not a message just for us. You had this message, this plan for our salvation planned out for thousands of years. This has always been your plan. And now because of Calvary, because of your birth, because of your resurrection, I now can experience the fullness of your plan for the moment. And then one day that trumpet's going to sound and I'm going to see your face and I'm going to be caught up in the clouds and I'll forever be with you, Lord. And that's the culmination of every prophetic word as I enter into eternity forever and ever and ever in the presence of my Lord and Savior. His hand is still stretched out right now in 2022 to you, to your family, to even as many as the Lord our God will call as the book of Acts says.